Uh, I've been reading a book called Love Does by Bob Goff. And Bob Goff, when he was, uh, he's a lawyer um, who works with uh, uh, countries in Africa to get them food and get them relief and get them support. But Bob wrote this book called Love Does. And the very first story he tells in this book uh, is about a friend of his. And it's about his own journey. Uh, when he was in high school, he was a junior in high school, and he decided that he had had enough, Bob had decided he had had enough of high school and he was going to drop out and he was going to move to Yosemite National Park and he was going to climb rocks and that's what he wanted that's all he wanted to do he's like I want to be a rock climber I'm going to get a job I'm just going to climb rocks and live out in Yosemite National Park for the rest of my life so he uh, had a youth leader uh, in his life whose name was Randy and so on a Sunday morning after Bob made this decision on an early Sunday morning he gets up and he goes to Randy's house now, Randy was with a group called Young Life. It was a Christian group uh, back, in the, back in the day. And so uh, he goes to Randy's house, knocks on the door. Early Sunday morning, Randy comes to the door kind of disheveled and uh, sleep in his eyes and everything. And he's he, Bob proceeds to tell Randy his plan, that he's going to drop out of high school and he is going to uh, climb rocks at Yosemite National Park. Randy listens to the story and says, Bob, you got a couple minutes? Bob's like, yeah, I got all the time in the world. So Randy goes back inside, closes the door, goes back inside. And a couple of minutes later, he appears at the door again with a backpack, a ratty old backpack, and a sleeping bag under his arm. And he says, Bob, I'm with you. Wherever you're going, I'm with you. He said, okay. And they both get into Bob's VW Bug. And they drive a couple hours to Yosemite National Park. Problem was that he didn't have any tents. He didn't have any food. He didn't have a job, didn't have any money. But he, uh, they commandeer a tent for the night. By commandeer, I mean they stole. So they stole a tent for the night and set up camp and the next day, they set out to go out and find a job. So Bob's going around to all the local businesses, trying to find a job, trying to find a job, can't find a job. And uh, frustrated, and, 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 but not deterred, they, they commandeered the tent again and spent the night. This is what Bob said. I love this quote. He says, uh, there was no work. I had no money. I was a high school dropout. Randy snored, and I had to go to the bathroom. That about covered my list of problems from least to greatest. <laughs> So the next morning they wake up and uh, Randy says, hey, let's go climb some rocks. So they go out rock climbing that morning and then they decide to go see if any of the local businesses had decided to expand their operations in such a way that they would give Bob a job. And sure enough, Bob could not get a job. So they got no money and no place to stay. And finally, Bob comes to his senses and says, you know what? I think I'm going to go back to high school. Randy said, Bob, wherever you're going, I'm with you. So they uh, pile back into Bob's VW bug and they drive back to, to the hometown and they go up to Randy's house. They pull up to Randy's house and, and there's Randy's girlfriend's car in the driveway. Bob thinks that's a little odd. So uh, Bob and Randy go up to the door and Randy walks in and Bob kind of follows him uninvited and Randy's girlfriend comes walking out of the back room and says, welcome home, honey. 
And Bob notices that all over the living room are boxes with like a microwave and boxes and, and dishes and there's wrapping paper. And Bob realized that on Saturday, Randy had gotten married. And on Sunday morning, Randy said, Bob, I'm with you. He was willing to sacrifice in order to be with Bob. That he saw something in this young man and he didn't want to see him waste his life. He didn't want to see him flush his life down the toilet. He wanted to invest himself, even if it cost him a great sacrifice. Randy had no idea how long this trip was going to last. But I'm sure when he was explaining it to his brand new wife, she understood that Bob was worth saving. He said, Bob, I'm with you. In a way, we all kind of want that, don't we? We want somebody to look at us and go, you know what, Sean, I'm with you. Or Bill, I'm with you. Debbie, I'm with you. We want somebody to come along and say, you know what, whatever you're going through, whatever you've got going on, we want somebody to come along and say, I'm with you. Because we, as much as we like to think that we can do life by ourselves, as much as we like to think that we can do life on our own, we need someone to be with us. No man is a rock or an island. We're just not. We're just not. We need someone to be with us. And as we open up the book of uh, Mark today, we're going to see that, you know, Jesus invites us to be with him. And the question I have for you today is, are you with Jesus? And we're going to talk about that for the next 20 minutes or so. Are you with Jesus? We're looking at the book of Mark here on Sunday mornings and Saturday nights. We're looking at the book of Mark every weekend. And the book of Mark is a gospel. Uh, if you're not familiar with the gospel, it's just basically a biography of the good news about Jesus. And what we're studying is we're taking this book of Mark chapter by chapter, one chapter a week for 16 weeks. So we are in chapter 3 today. If you brought a Bible... Turn to Mark chapter 3. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 708 of that Bible. And we're going to look at the story uh, of Jesus. And one of the things that we've noticed about the book of Mark is that Jesus is always on the move. He's always moving somewhere. And, and sure enough, in Mark chapter 3, he moves uh, from a synagogue uh, to a mountain uh, to a lake uh, and to a house. So Jesus is in, he's all over the place. And he's, he's drawing people from everywhere. He's, he's got huge uh, crowds of people uh, flocking to him. Just throngs of people. Just everywhere he goes, he's being bombarded by people. And they're, they're trying to touch him. They're listening to him teach. They're watching him heal people. They're seeing him cast out demons. Jesus is doing amazing things that they've never seen before. And so you've got all these people flocking to where Jesus is. And here in Mark chapter 3, we're going to see that Jesus needed to get away from the people. We'll see that in just a few minutes. But we're going to look at this in four different pieces. And the first piece uh, is in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And um, we see that uh, Jesus is in a synagogue, meaning it is the Sabbath. So he has gone to worship his heavenly Father uh, on the Sabbath in a synagogue. And in the synagogue is a man with kind of a shriveled, uh, withered hand. Now, Jesus did not only attract the sick, the demon-possessed, and the, the poor, and the hurting. He also attracted the attention 
of the religious elite, the religious leaders of his day. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, these people who were the religious elite, the holy rollers of their day, they are watching Jesus, but they're watching him for a different reason, for a different purpose. We'll see that in just a second. But in chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, it says this. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. So we've got this guy with the shriveled hand. He's being watched by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and they're looking for a reason to accuse him. Um, and so verse 4 says, Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them, around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus says, which is better to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, to heal this man's withered hand is not a matter of life and death. This, this man's withered hand is not going to kill him. He's been living with it for a long time. He can live with the withered hand, but Jesus is going to, we're going to see here in verse 6 that the teachers of the law had something on their mind. The Pharisees had something on their mind. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. How they might kill Jesus. And that's why Jesus asked that question. Which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? He knew what they were thinking. He knew that they were jealous of his popularity, that they were not, uh, that they were jealous of his authority, and that they were trying to kill him. This is the first time this shows up in Mark's gospel, this plan to kill Jesus. So Jesus uh, is surrounded by people. Just everywhere he goes, there's people and people and people. Crowds are following him. Um, and, and because he was healing people and teaching with authority and casting out demons, he's attracting all these people and all this attention. Uh, the people came from all around uh, places like Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, basically, everywhere that was in the ancient borders of Israel, people came to where Jesus was. Miles and miles and miles away, they came to where Jesus was. Demons are being cast out, and they're calling him the Son of God. They recognize that Jesus was the Son of God. So you got people everywhere. And Jesus is getting tired, uh, and he, he needs to get away, because they are crushing in on him. They're trying to touch him. And in verses 14 and 15, um, we see that Jesus went up on a mountainside, uh, and he called some people to him. He called his first disciples. Look at verses 14 and 15. He appointed 12, designated them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So Jesus appointed 12 men to be his followers, to be his apostles. The New Testament was written in ancient Greek and the ancient Greek word for apostle is the word apostolos and it means a sent one, one who is sent. And so Jesus was sending them out with a purpose and a mission. And that was to be his ambassadors, to, to be like him, and that is to teach, to preach, and to cast out demons just as Jesus had done. So he sends these 12 out, and, and there's Simon, who, who Jesus changes his name to Peter, Petros the rock. So there's uh, Peter, uh, there's James and John, the sons of Zebedee, whom he nicknamed the sons of thunder. You know, it's, it, they were a little impulsive. They had a, a kind of a hot temper. There was one point in the Gospels where they decided, they asked Jesus if they could call down th uh, lightning and fire on people. How cool is that, right? Hey, Jesus, uh, you know, 
Would it be okay if we called down? Can we do that? Can we, is that okay? Is that in the book? I mean, is that somewhere in there that we can call down fire on people? That'd be really cool, right? I mean, these bozos over here are, are ignoring you, and I think it's time to, to, to call some fire down. Let's do that, shall we? No? No? Okay. All right. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. All right. But you've got James and John. You've got uh, all these uh, disciples, including the last one listed is Judas. It says Judas who would betray him. Judas. Jesus called them to be with him. He called Judas to be with him. He called Judas to go out and to preach and to cast out demons. But Judas' heart was far from him. And I just want to let you know, following Jesus is not a matter of physical proximity. Following Jesus is not a matter of physical proximity. You can be close to Jesus, but still be far away from Jesus, if you know what I mean. No, following Jesus is a matter of spiritual devotion. Following Jesus is a matter of spiritual devotion, not physical proximity. And so you can, you can be near Jesus, yet be far away. Judas was with Jesus, yet he was far away. Being with Jesus is not a matter of physical proximity. Being with Jesus is a matter of spiritual devotion. The scene shifts. It went from a synagogue to a mountainside where he called his disciples to him. And now it shifts uh, in verse 20 to a house. And so they're in this house. And uh, there's a crowd that, again, the crowds are huge. They're, they're pressing in on him. They fill the house. Jesus and his disciples can't even get any food. They can't even eat. Because there are so many people. Look at verses 23 through 27. So the teacher of the law came in and, and they accused Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub. They say that Jesus is possessed by the devil. Verse 23. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan, he asks. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. So you've got Jesus saying, you know, uh, you call me possessed by the devil, and yet here I am casting out demons. Why would the devil cast out his own demons? It doesn't make any sense. These teachers of the law and the Pharisees are grasping at straws, trying to find any reason they can to accuse Jesus. And verses 28 and 29 says this, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. And now, you hear verses like that and think, what, what's Jesus talking about? What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? In those days, they, they were ascribing the work of God. The work of God was to cast out the demons. They were ascribing the work of God to the devil. They were, they were denying the truth that Jesus was the Son of God and that Jesus was God in human flesh, that Jesus was the Savior. They were denying this fact. And they were calling Jesus a liar. They were calling God a liar. And that's what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, to ascribe the work of God to anything other than God, and to deny the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is the Savior of the world. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies to the truth, 
the truth is that Jesus is the Savior, to deny that truth is an unforgivable sin until you come around to the truth. But to deny that truth, to die while denying that truth is an unforgivable sin, meaning you cannot be forgiven if you die in that lie. Does that make sense? You see, people want to say, people are worried, well, what if I accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit? You're not going to accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It is a choice to deny the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So, so don't freak out wondering, oh, what if I accidentally do that? You're not going to accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It is a matter of a willful choice to deny the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. That's what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So, and the reason this is so important, the reason this is so incredibly important, uh, we'll get into right here in verses uh, 33 through 35. So Jesus um, uh, is in this house, and it turns out that his, the people around him either think he's a demon, they either think he's the devil, or they think he's insane. His own family thought he was crazy. Uh, they, they, they left their home to go find Jesus, and, and they're going to take him away because they think that he's nuts. And, and in verses uh, 31 through 35, we see that Jesus' mother and his brothers arrive. They're going to take him away. And then in verses 33 through 35, it says this, Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And it may sound kind of harsh. Why is Jesus denying his family? Why is he denying his own mother? Why is he denying his brothers and his sisters? And here's the thing. Jesus is saying that, no, the most important thing in the world is the one who does the will of God. Is The will of God is the most important thing. The will of God is to spread the truth. The will of God is to share your faith. The will of God is to tell people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Because here's the thing. Without Jesus, people don't go to heaven. People have got to hear about Jesus Christ. They've got to hear that he is the hope of the world. Without Jesus, people don't go to heaven. But with Jesus, people experience love and joy and, and purpose and eternal life. With Jesus, everything changes. And that's why it's so important that we do the will of God and share our faith with people and tell people about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That's why it's so vitally important that we do the will of God. Because without Jesus, people don't go to heaven. But with Jesus, people experience love and joy and purpose and eternal life. That's our job, is to tell people about Jesus Christ, to invite them to church, to share our faith. Now here's the thing. When you decide to do the will of God, and when you decide to follow Jesus, when you decide to do what he tells you to do, and when you put your life in his hands, and when you surrender to his leadership, Jesus is going to lead you to do some, some seemingly crazy things. It may be hard to really put your faith and trust in Jesus, and to believe that he is going to lead you, uh, and, and to trust him to lead you. And so there's three different ways that Jesus is going to lead you, I think. And, and I want to share these with you now. The first is, is that uh, Jesus will lead you to put people above policies. Are you with Jesus? Jesus will lead you to put people above policies. Back when, in the very beginning of the chapter, when he healed the man with the shriveled hand, it was against the rules. It was against the policies to heal people on the Sabbath. But Jesus asked the question, what's more important, people or policies? 
And we run into this in leadership all the time. Well, we got to have a policy for this. We got to have a policy for that. We got to run. We got to. We got to. We got to. We got to. The question for us is: Are people more important than policies? Are rules more important than relationships? Because sometimes we'll put rules on people. We'll say, you got to follow this rule. you got to follow that rule. you got to do these things. And we totally forget about the person. Or we totally forget about the relationship. Well, it, it, you know, you got to do this. And it says this. And, and this is what it says. And this is what you got to do. I'm not denying that, that, that rules aren't, aren't important. Rules are important. And policies can be very important as well. But when it hurts people and when it destroys relationships, what is the most important? It was against the policy to heal people on the Sabbath. But Jesus says, I'm going to heal the man anyway. Because people are more important than policies. Again, it's not to say that policies aren't important, but people are more important than policies. We've got to remember that. Love should be our policy. That should be our primary policy. Our number one policy should be love. Is what I'm about to do the most loving thing that I can do for this person? Is what we're about to do the most loving thing that we can do for this person? Is what we're about to do going to be the most loving thing for this relationship? Is what we're about to do going to reflect the love of God and the love of Jesus for this world? That's our policy. Love should be our policy. Love should be our primary policy. Second thing Jesus will do is Jesus is going to lead you on a crazy adventure. Are you with Jesus? Jesus will lead you on a crazy adventure. Think about those around him who thought he was insane. They thought he was nuts. They thought he was either a demon or mentally unstable. They thought Jesus was crazy. His own family thought he was crazy. And there are going to be people in your life who are going to think that you're crazy. They're going to think that you are nuts. What do you mean? You're, you're going to church? You're going to church now. Really? What, is it because you think you're better than me? Are you, are you nuts? Have you taken leave of your senses? Are you crazy? Why are you going to church? Or you, you read your Bible at work now? You're reading your Bible? Why, why are you reading your Bible? Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? What, what's, what's going on with you? You're taking this Jesus stuff way too seriously. I love the, I love the responses I've seen to that on, on social media. You know, you take this Jesus stuff way too seriously. Well, I don't know. He took me pretty seriously when he was on the cross. It's true. Who's the crazy one? Well, we'll find out in the end. We'll find out in the end. And so Jesus is going to lead you, lead you to do some things that other people are going to think are crazy. He's going to lead you to do some things that other people are going to think are nuts. And it's not just going to church. And it's not just reading your Bible at work. But it may be, you know, making a sacrifice. Yeah, we're, we're going to do that. We're going to give up cable so that we can give money to a, 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 a missionary in, uh, in Haiti. Or we're going to quit, you know, drinking Starbucks coffee. And we're going to brew it at home so that I can support a, a mission team from our church. And people think, why would you do that? Duncan is so good. Grindhouse coffee? You're going to give up Grindhouse coffee just so that you can send a, a, a mission team to, to, to a third world nation? Why would you do that? Come on, it's just four bucks. Yeah, four bucks, four bucks, four bucks, four bucks. It sounds crazy. 
But what are you willing to do for Jesus? Are you willing to go where he leads you to go? Finally, Jesus will call you to make some tough decisions. Are you with Jesus? You know, maybe that first decision is the hardest. The first decision just to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to put my faith and trust in him. I'm going to believe in him and repent and turn away from sin and confess my faith and get baptized. Maybe that's the hardest decision that you have to make right now. You know, what are my family going to think? What are my friends going to think? What are, you know, the question is, what does Jesus think? Are you with Jesus? So maybe that's your decision. That's your tough decision that, yep, I got to do it. Sign up for the membership class. We're doing it in two weeks. Wednesday, January 30th at 6.30. Week and a half. Sign up for that membership class and say, I want to learn more. I want to know more what it means to follow Jesus. It's a great way to do it. Or maybe, maybe you've got a decision to make regarding, you know, your job. Maybe your job is pulling you away from God or keeping you from following Jesus. And it's time to say, you know what, I've got to find a new job because this one is not healthy for me and it's not helping me grow in my faith. In fact, it's pushing me further away from my faith. Or maybe it's, it's your kids. I'm not telling you to give up your kids. Don't give up your kids. All right, keep your kids. But maybe it's your kids' activities are pulling you away from Jesus. Maybe your kids' activities are pulling you away from God. And, and in our, let's face it, in this country, we worship our children. Guilty. Love our kids, right? And we'll do anything for them. But the most important thing we can do for our kids is to teach them that God loves them and that Jesus died for them and that they need to follow him. That's the most important thing we can teach our children. Not, not sports, not activities. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with activities. But what are you teaching your kids about priorities? Well, yeah, we can skip church for that. Oh, yeah, we're not going to go to church for the next six weeks because you've got this activity. What are you teaching them and, and, I, and I know you're not teaching them. You know you're not sitting down at the table going, okay, kids, all right, you know, church is fine and Jesus is great and everything, but he's not really that important. You're not doing that. Values are caught more than they're taught. What values are you imparting to your children by, the, by when they watch you? Do you make Jesus a priority so that they'll make Jesus a priority? Because there's only one thing that lasts forever, and that's the soul. Bodies break down. Minds break down. Money f is fleeting. Jesus lasts forever. What are you doing to impart that value to your children that Jesus lasts forever and that they can live forever with him or apart from him? What are you doing to impart those values? Jesus lasts forever. And here's the thing. Following Jesus isn't the easy way. Following Jesus is the only way. And that's tough. And that's hard. It's not, the, it's not the wide path. It's the narrow path. It's the difficult path. Following Jesus isn't the easy way. But it's the only way.